Hey guys, it is Food Beast catch-up review time. Thank you guys for leaving reviews every week. Please do keep doing them. And on the Apple podcast review section, make sure you leave your Instagram handle because next week, the reviews that I read, one of them is going to get a beautiful new ketchup mug. It's a mug, it's glossy finish, and it's built for ketchup. You put ketchup in it. So Swaggy Z, thank you for giving us a five-star review. This pod is fire. The ketchup takes such a unique angle into the world of food culture, food news, and where all of those things collide. So dope. I like that. Thank you, Swaggy Z. Um, and to this one, four out of five stars. Hey, we'll, be by this. I'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. Uh, Passing grade. Yeah, title says update the intro, uh, but the body of the review says dig the podcast. Really good. Thoughtful interview questions. Hate the loud, obnoxious intro. I'll keep listening. That's from Akurakumui. Leave your Instagram handles, guys, so I can find out how to give you guys cool stuff next week. Hey, uh, hey Eli. Yeah. Should we change the intro? Maybe. Let's run this one, though. Welcome to the catch-up. Introducing your hosts. Eli Aruth. Editor-in-chief. And Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch-up. Fatties, welcome back to the catch-up. Today, Jeff and I are exploring an American dining institution. It's a favorite amongst food beasts everywhere, a restaurant brand known the world over. It dates back to 1972, founded as a bakery serving cheesecakes almost 50 years ago, and now they have over 200 cheesecake factory restaurants and serve over 100 million people a year. Eli, uh, Eli. Yeah. That's... Based on averages, yeah, that's nearly five hundred thousand people per location. It's insane. It's like the entire city of Atlanta going to your local cheesecake factory. Yo, and as long as I've known and gone to Cheesecake Factory, they've had the biggest menu of any restaurant I ever been to. It's where we went in high school. Their portions are cartoonishly large. It's delicious. So let's catch up with the man behind his massive menu, Chief Culinary Officer, 18-year veteran of the Cheesecake Factory, Donald Moore, welcome to the Ketchup Podcast. Awesome to be here, thanks, it's oh great. It's good, it's good to have you, man. When, when, did you, when did you become a part of, we know it was 18 years ago, but like, what was the, what was the situation that kind of brought you to the Cheesecake Factory? Sure, so I was, uh, I was on the East Coast and, uh, I just gotten out of college and I was working in New York City at some restaurants and kept going, you know, running into cheesecake factories in different locations and seeing these lines for like hours. And people like, I remember going to a Grateful Dead show when I was, I think, 13 years old and there was just people sitting on the walls waiting all the time. And I thought that they were, you know, had too much to drink or whatever, but they were just lined up. That's what it looked like outside of a cheesecake factory. Seriously. You know, people were just sitting on mall floors waiting for hours to go eat. And I'm like, something's going on there. I've got to understand that. And I've always been attracted to sort of, you know, business and and chaos. So I followed it. And then I was always read this magazine, um, Restaurant News, and in the back, it said they gave their general managers BMWs. And, and, <laughs> and, and I was like, what restaurant company's doing that? This is the restaurant industry, you know? And I was like, there's got to be somebody with some real vision at the top that cares about a talent. That's like something the Yankees do yeah. or uh, you know, a tech company. And so I went and, and you know, I, I talked to a recruiter and I got recruited by them a couple of times and turned them down. And then finally went on an interview in King of Prussia. So I took the train from New York City and went and King of Prussia just opened and it was a complete chaotic day. It was so busy. There was so much happening. There was so much fresh food. There was so much care. There was so much pride. but. I had, it was almost like being in a carnival um, in a kitchen. I mean, it was just so amazing and so stimulating. And, uh, and during your interview, you're supposed to cook for the person that's interviewing you and 
you spend the day talking to staff and I ended up cooking all day because they were so <laughs> down. I said to the Craig Jones, who was actually the area kitchen operations manager at the time, I'm like, I just need to help you, man. He goes, you can't help me. You're here. And I'm like, dude, you're going down <laughs> bad. He goes, and I go, let me just go in the salad station and just finish some salads for you. You're short staffed. It's bad. And he goes, thank you so much. <laughs> and at the end of the interview, this is a great story. We had a beer and then I'm like, I'll take the job, you know? And I was so impressed and he was of such high quality and the company was so amazing. And you could see it from the start, the quality of ingredients, the care for the staff, the ultimate care for the guests. And, uh, and honestly, it was unique and different. And I was very attracted to that. What was your position? Um, when you start, I started as a kitchen manager in training. So we, we don't hire general managers or executive kitchen managers or sh executive chefs equivalent um, from the outside to take over restaurants. You huh. work through a sort of development system, which, which we call a roadmap. Um, and no matter what your experience is, where you come from, what you've run, you sort of take a step to that position and you have to work your way up. So for, on average for our general managers and executive kitchen managers, it takes about four to five years to get to that position through the training and development of the, uh, the people that are in those current positions. And then you get a BMW though. The, the, yes, the, the general <laughs> managers do. Yeah. And that still is in place today. It's a, and they deserve it. They work hard and unbelievable leaders, men and women in our, in our company in those positions, uh, just really reinforcing our culture and what's important to us. Was there a specific moment early on where you knew that you were gonna be a long-term employee of the company? Because 18, 18 years is no, is no small stuff. feat. And I'm curious about how early on did you know that that was going to be you know, the majority of your working career? Yeah, so I, I grew up as an athlete and loved sports and played soccer pretty serious my whole life and football and baseball. And I thought I was gonna be a professional soccer player. And when I got into the Cheesecake Factory and saw what was special about it and saw where there was opportunity, I felt like this is a pretty um, harmonious thing for me. I could feel the chemistry right away. You had to rely on people. You had to rely on your team. There was high quality people there. It was intense every day. It was different every day. And um, and I'm and the main thing besides the exceptional people that I ran into right away was um, there was a care for excellence there that I'd never seen in any other restaurant, especially that volume and that complexity. And I you know I love. Emerson, and there was, there's a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that I live by that says, do not go where the path may lead, go instead where there's no path and leave a trail. And immediately when I worked a few months in the Cheesecake Factory, I'm like, they're not doing what anybody else is doing. This is crazy, who would attempt this? Why would you attempt this? This is so hard, it's so differentiated. And, and I was completely enamored with that and trying to solve that puzzle every day. And I thought that I could offer value to the company in the future at the same time. Can we talk about how crazy that puzzle is and how big of an, because I know in the intro, I mentioned that, you know, over 200 locations, I think 211, something like that. Sure. Bigger. Like, what are we talking about? How much food are you serving? Sure, so we have over 250 menu items. We make everything Jesus from Christ. scratch. Uh, I knew that and I'm still laughing. Yeah, I knew it was funny. I just wanted to hear it come out of your mouth. No, and, and I smile when I say that every time because I, uh, my, uh, we were always worried, like trying to get it tighter. And I know our founder will come in and be like, oh, we have a great idea. Why don't we try this? There's a there's a need for America. Um, what do you think about this? And I'm like, you're right, here we go again. <laughs> uh, and then we, we go to work on it. But I think that, um, you know, it's very large. We buy over 700 ingredients to pull that off. We have over 600 prep recipes. So all the dressings and egg rolls that we roll or mixes that we mix or patting our own hamburgers, the way we cut herbs or or caramelizing vegetables for a mushroom gravy. There's 600 recipes that have to happen mainly daily to make that happen. Um, and we change our menu. You know, we don't, it's not like it's a stagnant thing. We change our menu twice a year where we add 12 or 15 things. But we also do, you know, and I, the best example I'll give you, which would be the company Apple, you know, they have their new products like iPhone, iPads, iMacs. That would be sort of our menu change when we take things on and off. But what they do to those products is they refine them mm -hmm. to exhaustion. And we do more than that than we add new products. We look at everything that we have that maybe a guest has been coming to Brea, Cheesecake Factory forever, getting the Louisiana chicken pasta. And we'll constantly try to tweak that to make it more delicious, easier to execute, better for the environment, better for our business. And we're constantly refining everything we do to be better for the guests as well. If you had to guess how many iterations of that Louisiana chicken pasta have existed over time, like mm -hmm. how many do you think 
there would be. Well, I can definitely look it up. But uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, and I'm not yeah. looking for the exact yeah, no, answer, but s- I'm curious, like, is it a couple dozen? Is it three? Is it t- like, what, what do you think that would be based on your gut? If you ask the operators in the restaurants, they would say too many. If you ask, <laughs> if you ask me, I'd say not enough. But uh, I would bet that without exaggeration, we've changed that dish 40 times uh, since it's been on the menu. Whether it's the way we season the chicken, the breadcrumbs, how long we pan fry it or fry it. Um, the brandy broth we put in to add a certain middle to the sauce, tweaking that up and down, how we cook the peppers. There's all these little adjustments that we've done over the years to make it better. And you have to do that though without ostracizing that same customer that's expecting that dish and has eaten that dish for years. Without question. And if we're as large as our menu is, um, our guests know our food and they come back. You would think they would try something new every time. They're coming back for the same thing that they love over and over again, especially our frequent guests. They come back for that, Louise, and they know when we tweak it. So we're very, very sensitive about the things that people love about it. And if we're going to change the things people love, it it better be better. The things that they sort of are really, really um, intoxicated with, we better make those things better if we're going to make a wholesale wholesale change. I got to tell you, man, it was a little eye-opening. So we had had lunch yesterday together, and uh, I hadn't been to Cheesecake Factory probably in a maybe a year I hadn't been in a while and I don't know why I don't go and one of my girlfriend's favorite restaurants and you let us behind you let us in the kitchen and I don't know what I was expecting but we've worked with a fair amount of uh the casual restaurant casual brands, restaurant groups down restaurants that yeah. you know have big footprints all over the country and all over the world they never let us in their kitchen they just don't. I'm not going to name names, but we're not allowed in there because they know we have phones. They know that, I don't know, some stuff might be coming out of bags. Some stuff might be going into microwaves. You didn't give a shit. You let us in there and you were excited to show, like you were showing us the uh, the avocado egg rolls. We we're going back there and there was a whole prep. Like they were making everything from scratch. And I'm, I'm not saying this to like fluff you up. I'm saying it like I was flabbergasted and I have to like eat my words going in that I was just like, I was just, I was expecting to sit at a table. You would tell us about what was going on in the back, but we wouldn't see any of it. Jeff, were you as surprised as me? Yeah, I mean, I think what I did not expect rolling in at 930 in the morning on yeah. a Tuesday was that there was going to be a couple dozen people, like not just there setting up. They were in almost like a semi-militaristic rhythm. Like there is a pulse there is a cadence going on. And as much as everyone in the back of house was actually really super courteous and nice to us, we were obviously in the way. <laughs> and so it was it was it was one of those things where it was like, I thank you for letting me be here. I'm trying to absorb as much knowledge as I can, but I am in the middle of a machine. I'm in the middle of a machine happening right now. And but they were that cool was, about that, it though. They were like they were like excited to have like, oh, this is what I've been working on. So I've, I enjoyed that balance. It's like, yo, we got shit to do, man. Like we're opening soon and we have to make all this shit from scratch. Like seeing the pestos being made, the salsas being made, going into the, the fridge where you guys label everything that is not in there for more than like 24 to 48 hours. Like all the different sauces looked like hundreds of sauces. I was flabbergasted. I was, yeah, it was re- it was like, you just, that's the stuff you don't know. And I'm, I'm curious if you can kind of talk about the Cheesecake Factory approach as it relates to uh, its prep and its ingredients. Yeah, sure. So I think I'd say two things. One, not to go back a couple of minutes, but you should be a better boyfriend and take your girlfriend <laughs> I know, I should. To, to Cheesecake Factory. She was so mad I went yeah. without her yesterday. And the so. fact that you didn't, I mean, I offered to take to send something home for her, but you didn't take me up on that. Um, I swear I was just coming back to work. I would have gone. <laughs> look, I think that, uh, look, I'm a fan of big business. I'm a fan of small business. I love design and engineer and seeing things come together. And I think that how the prep, how the food happens is there was an unbelievable vision and set of standards gold standards set by our founder and his and his parents that started the company the cheesecakes the restaurants and you know david has been doing this for over 40 years and he's our current chairman ceo and founders and and started the company with his parents um and his mom really was the the reason why the cheesecake factory came together with the cheesecake um they have such amazing standards not just for the quality of food but for the people that work in the restaurant so the number one reason why we were able to pull it off is the people we have working in the restaurants. I want to be very clear about that. We have unbelievable staff, unbelievable retention, unbelievable pride, 
unbelievable care at the management level, at the hourly level, at the above store l- restaurant level. And that, and we keep our people. They, our retention is industry leading and that, and our training is very good. So what is that back of house retention? Cause we were talking about that a little yesterday now. Yeah, I mean, uh, the average time that our executive kitchen manager has been in their position, um, uh, which is an equivalent, like I said, of an executive chef, uh, it's been 13 years. Our area um, kitchen operations manager over top of them um, has been 14 to 15 years. And then you take the general managers with the same tenure and the air directors with the same tenure. And they, so you have that culture, that knowledge, that that experience, uh, we've been through this, you know, and, and really knowledge around the food, the service, the hospitality, what we're trying to do in our restaurants. And when it comes to the food, um, in the end, there are easier ways to do things. I mean, you can buy things prepared, you can buy things chopped, you can outsource products, but it just doesn't taste as good. And we, that's the battle we fight. When we make a decision, we're like, is it the best it can be? We never say, well, well, this is safe and this could be consistent. No, is it the, is it the best that your girlfriend could have if she comes in that, that avocado egg roll that we made, that we've sourced the best avocados, they're cut to a certain specification, a percentage of them is broken down, the way we blanch the sun-dried tomatoes is just right, where the dried part is softened up a little bit. We roll them every day. The sauce that people love um, that go with the avocado eggs takes hours to make. Yeah. Tamarind, and you saw us putting all those herbs and cashews and ginger and garlic, and yeah. I mean, it was like a, you know, like a whole um, palette of stuff coming together to make this paste. Um, and people rely on that, and you can taste the difference. Other companies, and I'm not knocking anybody's approach. This is just our approach that we'll own. Um, you know, they outsource stuff, and we we're not. That's not the company we are. And I can I tell you, even if we became that company, which we won't, our people would revolt. There's so much pride and standards in the restaurants for the food being a certain way. And the, when I talk about the food, I'm always talking about the bakery and the bar at the same time because that's just as important. That we, um, you know, we're so committed to things being delicious. And um, and that's that's sort of our approach with everything. What's so, your what's your biggest temperature check on menu items uh, from your customers? Is it just is it selling at this location, or are you guys like listening to Instagram? Like, well, where'd that where'd that menu item go? Because sure. you're doing so. There's so much data that goes on, and Cheesecake Factory has kind of been heralded for the tech that goes into basically serving these. Yeah, millions of people. hundred million people. Yeah, like yeah. that's not an easy feat. No, like very few, if not anyone else is doing this at that scale because it's actually the footprint of number of restaurants is not that much. They're just humongous restaurants with crazy infrastructure sure. inside. You know, David, our founders always said if you, if you, you know, other restaurant chains might have a thousand restaurants, but if you sort of took their volume and multiplied it by our number of restaurants, we, you know, we'd have thousands of restaurants too, but we want to make sure our experience is special. There's a certain energy that's created at the size that we do. And I think that um, what you'll find really, really interesting is for the amount of people we feed, and really that's not a goal we wake up every morning. It's like, let's get to 150. It's not. We wake up every morning, ideally, hoping people that work in our restaurants feel inspired, they feel safe at work, and they go home fulfilled. And that the guest, if you do that right, the guest feels something that's really special. We do have technology throughout our restaurants. You have to at the volume and in the world has just evolved into offering so much information that can be directional versus your own opinion. But there, in the restaurant business, you, you also need to use a little bit of your gut, you know, and what you want to be. And sometimes you can figure that out. And I'll give you one sort of real example is we're not, uh, we're one of the only major restaurant companies that doesn't use focus groups or a lot of market research really? to decide what we put on and off the menu. Um, it's really the vision of our founder, David Overton, myself and our culinary team, Chef Babakura and our R&D chefs. And we're obviously looking at what's happening in the world, um, understanding the difference of being a pioneer and a settler and ingredients and maybe recipe ideas. Um, but we, we really, really focus on what we wanna be to our guests. So. If people want things that are more healthy, of course. If they want things that are plant-based, of course. We have such a uh, you know a canvas of 250 spots that no matter ha- what happens in the world, um, we can find some room on the menu <laughs> to to do that. And I think that we put our food in in really three lanes. If it's something that everybody else has, like a spaghetti and meatballs or an old-fashioned burger, what's going to make ours better? It'll be ingredients we purchase, the technique, and the care that our staff puts into it. 
if it's something that everybody else has would be lame too, um, like a bacon cheeseburger, how can we make ours a little bit more interesting and fun? So instead of just bacon, we put bacon and pork belly. Mm. We make a special sauce and then we hide a little ketchup in the special sauce. So you get that sort of nostalgic warm ketchup thing that you might've got from some other places as a job with elevated ingredients. And then the last lane is whatever's happening in the world. Mm. So obviously people care more about health and wellness, gluten-free, we have our skinny delicious menu, we have the Impossible Burger, which is selling, it's one of our most impossible, most popular burgers. Anything that can sort of happen and evolve, we'll understand that and go at the right pace to make sure that we can offer that up to our guests as well. There's the amount of order data that Cheesecake Factory has because of the 100 million people you're gonna serve every year. I mean, it, that's just so immense. Are there ways, what are the ways that Cheesecake Factory, because it has access to that data set, when, what ways do you guys use it to differentiate your restaurant? I think that we, we study all the analysis and look at everything as far as what's selling. And, um, and you know, there's a, this is gonna be overly simplified, but you know, our founders always taken sort of this Darwin approach that what people buy is what's gonna stay on the menu. And let's not, uh, let's not overcomplicate that. I mean, there's some real brilliance in that. Instead of you know, paying millions of dollars to have research and have people come in and tell you, wait, wait, he's got unbelievable instinct and wisdom in this sort of just saying, here's what people are buying. Strong survives. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, we, and we're very, very good at, you know, there's a, an exceptional amount of energy and time that goes into designing those things right. So the cost is right. They're operationally friendly. They're completely delicious. We are factoring how that those recipes impact other recipes and cross utilizing and what's good for the environment, what's good for our sustainability plan. Um, so we use the data, you know, but I, I, honestly, all we're trying to do is get people to come back more and more and more because they love us. And that's not just with the spaghetti and meatballs. It's the way you walk into the restaurant and it feels clean and hopefully there's somebody there with a big smile mm. and the bakery's always right there. So it's like, you know, to the way the company started and, uh, and the booth feels a little bit nicer, the lighting spotlighted on the table. You get bread, hot bread and bouncer mugs of water right away because you've been waiting. I mean, I can go, I could go this for six hours about yeah. all the little things <laughs> that are trying to get you to love us. And, and hopefully you really appreciate that. Has your gut gone against any data and the time you've been oh, yeah. at Cheesecake Factory, where you're just like, you know what? This might not be selling, but I love this. Or has your founder done that? You know what? Like, I don't care if no one orders this. Is there a menu items on I there would, sitting I would say, right would now? Say we, we, we wouldn't say that out loud, but we definitely <laughs> yeah. mean that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that for sure, I mean, there's things like, I, you know, burrata we did 10 years ago that we knew we were early on, and mm. now it's back on the menu. Mm. And we knew that there might be a guest that needs that. Um, Ahi tartar, you know, ahi's blown up with all the pokey places, and we've had ahi on the menu forever. Um, we have some markets that don't sell a lot of ahi um, mm. because it's just not something they're familiar with. But we'll keep it there because we know that there's guests in those communities that travel to big cities and get those things. So there's a, there's a, it's an art and a science. Yeah. Um, and with experience and with learning and keeping your eyes open and ultimately listening, listening to what's happening in the world and listening to the people that are in those restaurants, whether it's our managers or staff, I think help us uh, make decisions. But some, yeah, for sure we put things on that we know are a gamble um, or, or taking a chance. Um, and sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. You have to really stick by them and weather the storm of people saying, why'd you put this on the menu? This is so hard. And then they become stars. And I have a lot of stories about things like that. Give me one. Um, I, the chicken samosas. So. We put chicken samosas on probably seven or eight years ago. Nobody knew what they were. Uh, they were an interesting dish, they were small. We changed one word in the description of the chicken, the way we described the chicken, and they went to like our third selling appetizer. And now there's something that people come back for over and over again. Um, we had- the What was that word, sorry, what, what did you it change? Was, they, we, put, we had ground chicken in the description, uh -huh. and we just changed it to chicken. Wow. Uh, there you Crazy. go. Yeah. Is we, uh, the macaroni and cheese balls, the fried macaroni and cheese, which is, are there these, I mean, they take for, I'm sweating talking about how long it takes, <laughs> how long it takes to make them. But we, you know, we cook pasta, we grate all these fresh cheeses, we make all these sauces. You have to bake it, you have to chill it, you have to scoop it, you have to bread it, you have to make the breadcrumbs. You've got to make the marinara. I can go, and, it, and there's five different cheeses that go in the mix that have to be grated. They've started very slow. People are like, what? Your macaroni and cheese is already indulgent. Now you're going to bread it and fry it. 
And now they're like our number one or two selling appetizer. And they are so good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, incredible. you cut one ball up and all this cheese oozes out. And then you get the contrast between this sort of like pink sauce that we make with our house made marinara and then the crispiness and oh, yeah. they're ooey gooey. <laughs> and it's like the best thing of everything that's good about food, texture, seasoning, heat exchange, yeah. all these wonderful things. And they were, I mean, they just went like this. Slow and then, growth. Yeah, now, and at the time that those were on social media, wasn't, you know, wasn't as big as it where you can get the instant sort of Popeye's chicken sandwich effect. Yeah. Uh, you know, those were earned the old-fashioned way just through word of mouth. How long ago were those uh, mac and cheese balls? I, I'd be guessing, but I think they're probably, it feels like, you know, 100 years, but uh, <laughs> uh, I think that they are, they've probably been on for 12 years, I would say. That's crazy, because about six years ago, it felt like they proliferated everywhere with social media, like small restaurants like started almost making brands around mac and cheese balls that for they sure. sold. So it's cool to see that very early on there. Yeah, there's no question there was a movement with mac and cheese trucks everywhere, grilled mm -hmm. mac and cheese, everything, yeah. How did, can you tell us more about the Cheesecake Factory's pricing and portion size strategy because i feel like huge those two things are like somewhat of the definition of what people think of with cheesecake factory right i'm going to go for a good meal at an affordable price and i'm also going to have lunch tomorrow i feel like that's <laughs> like at least the the per that's my mindset when i go there can you can you talk about whether that was in the beginning whether you saw that when you jumped on or how that adapted i think over that time. you just nailed what our founder would say to be honest with you i mean i think that he is so good at wanting people to have more in everything he does it's like how can i make this more comfortable how can i make it faster for you i can make the music sound better how can i make this crisper and i think that the pricing strategy um and the portion size was no different there was no that started from the beginning and really, you know, once he got going, he wanted to say, what's the most I can possibly give you? Um, and at the least price. And then, then so we can still take care of our business and take care of our investors and we're a public company. But really he was so brilliant at sort of striking that balance between the value and the portion size. And then the, for the gas, think about the way that you can dine at a cheesecake factory. You can come in with your girlfriend. Yeah, we sit at the like, bar mm, outside. Yep, and you can share mm. if you want. So there's value in that. You can take it home for the next three days <laughs> and nibble on it every single night. You can, um, you can, you know, a lot of people like to eat our food family style. So they come in, you'll see, especially our restaurants in Asia. Well, you know, they just put all the food in the middle of the table and everybody gets a little bit of everything. There's just so many ways to use our experience. You can come in and get an appetizer salad, which is a perfect size salad for lunch, and you can eat the whole thing. But if you want a larger salad, and you want to have it tonight too, we have those options. So he really, really, he really just has an unbelievable eye for the right value at the right price. And, and, and letting our guests, I mean, you see everywhere I travel, you just see our takeout bags. And, and, and that to me is a really good signal. It's like people in those markets really understand what we're all about. Come in for a fancy dinner if you want for your grandmother's 90th birthday or take it home and eat it for the rest of the week or put it in your kid's lunch the next day. Um, your choice, you know? And hopefully you feel like the price is really great for the value you're getting and the quality for sure. I wanna get back to the the, the micro in a second of, of all the crazy fascinating stuff that's happening inside Cheesecake Factory. But we've mentioned the founder a couple of times, so I'd be remiss if we didn't just have like a really good founder story sure. real quick. Like, can, what? Tell me, tell me what you know about the early early days of Cheesecake Factory, and was it this big restaurant out the gate? No, I think that uh, you know the, the the family was from Detroit. Okay, my mother found a cheesecake recipe in a newspaper, and they were baking cakes in in Detroit, and people loved them and selling them. And then uh, the son came out, David, who's our current chairman and CEO, came out to San Francisco for school, and the parents followed west and ended up with a bakery in um, in the Valley, I think. And uh, it was very successful, you know, people loved it, but there was work to be done on the business side. David then was out of school and uh, came to California, to Los Angeles, and they opened up the first shop on Beverly Hills. He said, how do we feature these cakes where people can come in and order them? Like at a restaurant, they had no clue how to run a restaurant, no clue what they were doing. And they partnered together and they opened up this little shop in Beverly Hills. And he tells the story that he put a little card on the window that will be open at two o'clock. They had a few things on the menu, it was mainly around the cake. 
and that there was a line wrapped around uh, the block and he said the lines have never stopped. And you know, fast forward to today, almost 40,000 staff members, feeding 100 million people a year, and all of the big business stuff is wonderful. And his development and mentorship of all of us and what, I mean, I could go on and on about the stories that his company, how it's changed people's lives. Um, but the, the standards of excellence have not changed. Um, and from his mom and from what they, they built in 1978 to today, we're pushing as hard as ever to get better and to continue to make a difference in the world. And, and he used to love, you know, when he was a business owner and he was in Beverly Hills and he could go out and sweep the street and sweep the sidewalk in front of his building, just like, you know, where we are right now, that was important to him. And, he, and to this day, he still works that hard. But those little details, trying to make a difference in the experience, it's a really good role model for all of us. You say he's still working like 70 hours a week. He's, he's, he's very committed <laughs> uh, and we love it. And it's, a, it's an unbelievable beacon for all of us. How would you, uh, Chef, how would you categorize the cuisine of Cheesecake Factory? Mm. How would you describe it for the three people in America that haven't walked through your doors? Sure. So I think it's something for everyone. I mean, that's what we've sort of always said as a company. Uh, there's no veto vote that anybody could come to the Cheesecake Factory and find what they're looking for. I would describe it as delicious extremely fresh, well-sourced ingredients, the techniques that you would get, classical and modern techniques that you'd find in the world's best restaurants we're doing in our kitchens, a lot of care, um, and you can indulge, obviously. You mm. can eat healthy. You can eat plant-based if you want. You can eat vegan if you want. You can eat gluten-free. We really have something for everyone. If you want to come in after a movie and just get a snack, we have a snacks and small plates and you can have a great margarita, I mean, there, there's so many ways to dine in our restaurant at any time of the day. You can come in a brunch on Saturday and Sunday. If you're having a lot of drinks the night before and you want to eat an omelet at seven o'clock on a Monday night, we'll make you an omelet as well or a breakfast burrito. Um, so I think that it, there's something for everybody and it's really, really delicious food bar and bakery with great service. Is there anything not allowed on the menu? Um, no, I think we, we would do anything. I mean, I don't know if we'll have sardines on, on the next uh, menu change, but... Uh, yeah, I think we're, you know, the, you have to sort of design properly. I mean, like I'll give an example of something that could be challenging is, is clams. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, shellfish, you want to go through them really quick. And if you don't sell things, uh, we would not design something to put on the menu that's like high risk and high cost or troubling for the operators. We're very, very focused on and through the years of experience of what we'd put on. I feel like every time I read about any casual restaurant that, is having some trouble and posts if they're public and they're posting a decline or they're or they go through some sort of controversy a lot of a lot of the media tends to blame this like adventurous millennial eater that's like you know uh doesn't want the usual doesn't want the consistent wants to hit 15 restaurants over the next 30 days based on the list that they're developing from food beast and other publications but i feel like a, a, a lot of people kind of blame new audiences for the demise of some of these restaurants how do you feel about the next generations of eaters from a cheesecake factory perspective i think that's an awesome question i think that I would answer that and say that it's never been more exciting and challenging, but this is the restaurant business. It's a lot of work for a little return. So if you get to a place that can do it really well, um, it's a it's a real special thing. And that's why I've been with Cheesecake for 18 years. I mean, I love the people, love what we're doing. But there, as far as a consumer today, and it's, there's never been more money spent in the restaurant business. There's never been more options. Food has never been better in the world. In America in particular, the food that's come from all over the world in the last 10 to 15, 20 years has brought so many unbelievably delicious things to our country that didn't exist before. So, you know, everybody coming here and bringing their food has made our food so much more delicious, so much more well-rounded. Um, so it's never been more exciting to be a chef or somebody that creates and serves food. I think for us, we get recognized by millennials. They, you know, they, we, we win awards for the millennials' favorite choice. And, and, and ultimately we're just trying to stay current. And, um, and for sure there's more um, criticism or social media or people you know, 
saying their own opinion about what they think is delicious and and what is not but what you often have to just sort of focus on is where are people spending their money versus where are they sort of sharing their thoughts and that's um and that's uh and that's not to be sort of brash it's just to be honest is i'm whether it's a fast casual brand or a, a taco truck or a fancy restaurant or a white tablecloth restaurant or an, a great neighborhood restaurant i just i'm so attracted to where people are spending their money where are they lining up why is salt and straw in Venice, have yeah. 70 people, what are they doing? And trying to understand that deeper and what people are connecting with. And um, so I think it's a great time to be in the restaurant business. And I think that um, you have to understand your guests. You have to understand the guests that have loved you for 40 years and have been coming in and getting the same thing. And then you have to evolve as well. And you have to innovate and you have to offer those things that the changing demographics or the changing consumer wants. And when you sort of have the, the canvas, like I said before, of what we do, we can sort of do it because we have so many spots to be able to evolve. So we, we have more kale, we have more farro, we have more grains, we have more plant-based proteins. That's come out of millennials and the world changing and people caring more about where their ingredients are coming from. And we respond accordingly, um, you know, with doing the right research to make sure they're the right things for our business and for our staff and for our guests. Yeah, tell me about that kale salad that didn't make it. <laughs> the kale, yeah, so we, we have two kale salads and we have an almond crusted salmon that is so good on a kale salad with avocado and radishes, it's delicious, that's on still, but there was another kale and quinoa salad that was on for a few years and a lot of people loved. Uh, but it was so big, you know, we, you know, it's so hard to eat that much kale. You're drowning people in roughage. Yeah, people are like, I loved a third of it. Uh, but it, you know, and they honestly, at the end, spoke with their choices and with their wallets. Um, and we learned. And, you know, you have to sort of bank that information and go, next time, could we have softened it up a little bit with a little butter lettuce or yeah. little jam and made it more eatable? Um, but I know somebody really well that's really aggravated with me that we took it off the menu. <laughs> I have a nerdy question. So when someone goes into a cheesecake factory and they place their order with the waiter or waitress, what happens next? Because that's like part of the tech that I want to learn more about. And and I saw a little bit of it yesterday and the stages of from when an order's placed and you have maybe have a table of who knows, five, 10, 20 people sometimes. How does the order get put in and what makes Cheesecake Factory different in that capacity versus other restaurants? Yeah, so I think that, you know, like all restaurant companies, we have unbelievable operators and the executive team and in the restaurants. And they're looking at the dining room and saying, how many terminals do we need? How often are people backing up? How can we do that as fast as possible? But, but still keeping our experience upscale and nicer. And, um, and then once the server rings in the order, we have technology in our kitchen that uh, you know used to have a ticket system that goes to a screen now. And those screens, if you ordered three things, they'll balance it out based off of historical cook times on those items. So, for example, if you ordered an avocado egg roll, a chicken Madeira, and an Alfredo pasta, and a Thai wrap, um, that you, we know how long it takes to make all those things on average in that restaurant for the last, let's just say six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, that will go to a screen and then we'll automatically release those items to the cooks so that the food comes up together. And it's as hot, fresh, and delicious as possible. Because food that sits in the window, it's not cheese or wine. It doesn't get better as it ages. <laughs> you know, the quicker you can get the food up and out to the guests, the better their experience will be. So we use data, technology. That's just one example of something we do to make sure that the cooks don't have to scream in the old days of like brigade systems where you're like, hey, I'm going up in four minutes with this dish, you go up in six minutes. If they had to do that, it would sound like a, I don't know, like the stock market or a swap meet where somebody's bidding for somebody, there'd be thousands of conversations <laughs> happening and screaming and people would just be walking out because it'd be so intense. So we've used the technology to quiet the kitchen, balance the food better, make it more delicious. Mm -hmm and ultimately be as efficient as possible. It did look like a silent disco yesterday. Like we were- <laughs> That's a really good description. It, there was like a bunch of like really talented chefs grinding, right? Like someone reaching over the next person, but no one was like really talking outside of like maybe just behind you. Sure. Hey, reaching around you, boom, boom, boom. It felt like a silent disco. Yeah. We were the loudest ones and it was probably just my camera taking pictures. <laughs> like, and so that that was cool and aggressive. And then right out front, you have like the chaos of like, it's just everyone enjoying their food and sitting out in the front. And you called it the, uh, what was it called? The show, not the showroom. The uh, expo. The expo, which is the area between the back of house kitchen and the front of house. It's where the food kind of gets displayed and the waiters and waitresses come in and grab the food. So there was a lot of interesting tech and you were even showing us kind of how, um, and cut me off when I start giving away proprietary sure, information. Sure. But so on the screen that the orders come in on, do you also have a look at 
just an entire catalog of every recipe that's in your guys' system. And you guys have this data where you can click on a recipe, shows you there's a video of how to make it potentially, and then there's the ingredients. But then at the corporate level, you guys are fine tuning these recipes, like you mentioned, you were showing us one of them where you had just changed the order of when you put in the oil versus the butter or something like that. And that got distributed to all the cheesecake factories across the world. Yeah. Like little things like that, that I don't know where you're getting that data. Are you guys in the kitchen trying this stuff or are you just like- So we have an R and D center in Calabasas at our headquarters and then ideas come in from the restaurants or we might be traveling and see something or we remembered something that our mom did and we're like, oh, she used to cook this way and let it sit on the stove for a second, let's let it rest. Or it could come, from, honestly, the ideas come from anywhere. And a lot of them come from the amazing people that are working in our restaurants. Um, but if we can adjust something, like we just made a slight adjustment on the way we toasted our hamburger buns. Because hmm. we wanted the tops to be a little bit softy, soft and sort of pillowy yeah. instead of like dry and not toasted through. I hate when I get a hamburger bun and the top and bottom of the hamburger bun, the, inside part might be grilled but they're not cooked mm-hmm. and it's not soft and steamy and warm and when you put it in your hands it should drink down so we made an, a subtle adjustment to our hamburger bun recipe that went to all of our restaurants immediately so we could make sure that we're getting those little things that hopefully the guests will know and that's an example of sort of like a backup singer you know like you know like it's not like you're ever going to hear somebody post on social media or um, come home and say, you know, my hamburger bun was the softest, hottest hamburger bun I've ever had in my life. You got to go to this restaurant. They're talking about the burger. Or they're talking about the overall. Fry. Yeah. But those little things, those little backup singer things <laughs> that you would know if they weren't there, um, they that's what you look at the best things that are sort of part of popular culture, whether it's an In-N-Out burger, a Chick-fil-A sandwich, a taco somewhere, a piece of pizza somewhere a french fry somewhere those are the little things that make those things so exceptional and we spend a lot of time on that to make sure that our guests get something that's really hopefully delicious where you're like eating it and it's getting smaller and you're starting to get sad because you don't want it to end but then memorable so you're thinking about it long past your experience at the same time yeah um how many on average how many back of house line cooks or chefs or anyone that's in the back of house how many people do you have like per restaurant on sure. average. Sure. So we, you know, it depends on where we're sure. opening a location. I was in Orlando last week. We just opened up a restaurant in Violent Point and in Coral Gables in Miami a couple weeks. So we'll hire anywhere from 200 to 300 staff members for those restaurants. Damn. Spread out across all of our work groups, which are like servers, you know, bakers, cashiers, our amazing dishwashers, prep cooks, line cooks. And, um, and then when you get to an existing restaurant, like if we were in um, Cerritos yesterday, there's probably a couple hundred staff members there. So cooks, you could be um, 40 to 50 cooks, 20 or so prep cooks, 15 or so dishwashers, and then five, around five for that size restaurant, probably five man in the management team in the kitchen as well. So pretty much every day, whether I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, anywhere, there's now always a chef that's talking about how they need a line cook like every day. Sure. It's, I mean, obviously we're connected to a lot of people in the industry, so I'm probably seeing it more than the average person. I'm curious about what you can convey about the strategy of needing that much back of house staff in a time period where it feels like there might be less people going into the space. And again, I'm, I'm saying that feels cause I don't know the data. Oh, you're, 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 you're exactly right. So, how, how do you guys cope with that and deal with that? Yeah, so it's, um, look, when you have the amount of restaurants that have opened up since really the recession, there's been an unbelievable growth and then food is so cool. You know, chefs are rock stars where chefs were sort of looked down upon 30 years ago mm-hmm. and, um, and the, the environment's changed. So it's created a world of competition. And then you have this sort of fast casual space that didn't exist 10 or 15 years yeah. ago that's now like $100 billion. You know, great companies like Chipotle and Shake Shack and Tender Greens and Mendocino Farms and Sweet Greens and all the fast casual pizza places. They, they've taken a lot of the jobs. Um, so it's never been more competitive um, to either get talent um, or attract talent and retain talent because there's so much, um, so many other options out there. So I think for us, we look at it like this. If we have a, an, ex, an exceptional general manager an executive kitchen manager in our restaurants that that want to look at their restaurant, whether they're in Brea, 
Dubai or Beverly Hills or Omaha and go, I'm gonna create a place where people wanna work. And that's like, that's what our people think about. I'm gonna treat people with respect. I'm gonna give them an opportunity to grow. If they fall in love with our brand and they wanna travel the world to open restaurants, we can present that. If they wanna grow into management, we have development programs where people can grow into management. We treat people with respect. We deal with the issues right away. We're very focused on you know integrity, respect, and responsibility. If we can create places where people can thrive and they can grow or they can just come do their job because that's all they want to do because they're a mom and they're working hard or a dad and they're working hard and they have children and they just want to work their 40 hours. We have so many options. And, and, and so that's a big thing for us. And we're really focused on retaining our staff. You know, the job, the restaurant job is hard. It is hard. And it's constant. And you've got to love repetition, doing the same thing over and over again. So we recognize that. And you know, I, and I'll be honest. I think that we're very good at managing the gray as a company. You know, you look. You, you have, I have some cooks that work in our restaurants, 15, 20, 25, 30 years in some of our restaurants. You can't focus on one bad day. So let's just say a cook comes in. They've been with you for 22 years, and they have a bad day, and a manager is not happy about that. The easy thing to do is what? Fire them, right? Maybe they said something, or that's not what we do as a company. We believe in people. We believe in the history of people. You have to look at the sum of their work over 22 years and go, this person's done nothing uh, but, but made our business better. Let's, let's work with them. Let's see what's going on. And if they want to leave, you're in the trunk of their car when they're trying to quit, waiting for them, saying you're not going anywhere. You mean something to our business. I recently recognized a cook, a line cook of ours. Her name's Sonia. She's from our Boca, Boca Raton restaurant. We, we do this company webinar where we sort of do some operational stuff that we focus on. And I, at the end of the webinar, I recognized her. She has three kids, four grandkids, and um, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, if everybody's doing the same thing, what makes things compelling for a guest to come back to your restaurant? You know, compelling is like, you know, uh, going to a concert. Why do you go see this person at a concert? Who fills stadiums in sports, in music, in movie, entertainment? And, you know, I, rec I recognize Sonia because I think that what she's done in our restaurant, opening up our restaurants all over the world, and in Boca Raton, she's filled seats in our restaurant like a like a Justin Timberlake mm -hmm. or like a Lizzo right now. And you know, she's made so many beautiful, delicious salads that are at an exceptional level that I want to tell everybody that because it's her, this this amazing woman that's worked for us for twenty years. It just makes salads. She's filled the Boca Raton restaurant up for years, and that's the that's what we're trying to do as a company is to recognize those people and recognize the difference they're making in our business. And that's, that's how we have been able to retain, keep people so long, and I think create a culture of excellence um, that's, that's sort of unparalleled. If I'm in a situation where I want a culinary career, if I spent three years as a prep cook and line cook in the Cheesecake Factory, do you think that's better or equal to a culinary school degree? Yeah, so this is, you know, recently was listening to a Dave Chang podcast, and he's been very hard on culinary schools. The, the way I would answer that is education's awesome. Um, do you need to go to school to get the best education? I'm not an expert enough to say that. I think that each individual's different. I know some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life went to the best universities. I also have you know, some of the most amazing people <laughs> in the world that didn't graduate high school, and they found their way to learn. They found their way to find their knowledge. Um, so I, I think it depends on the individual, to be honest with you. Culinary schools are great and they're foundational and things that like technique and food safety and, and understanding the mother sauces, there's so much unbelievable learning. I think what we offer, which is unique, um, is we, we focus on people, culture. We teach you how to be good business people. Wolfgang Puck's got an unbelievable quote. And it's to be a great chef, you have to be a great manager, a great business person, and a great cook. And for all of our managers, those are three things we want them to be. It's not just about making the best mashed potatoes every day that are creamy, lumpy, bumpy, and so delicious. They've got to understand that, well, how are we getting those mashed potatoes? How do we not over, how do we not waste them? How do we make sure the staff is trained properly on how to season them and do all those things? There's so many other layers to running a good restaurant um, so I think that what you get in the Cheesecake Factory that we hear from people that have worked for us for a long time that maybe go on to become famous chefs or get into their dream of being a celebrity chef or just opening their own restaurant is you guys taught me so much more than just cooking. Taught me how to treat people, taught me how to deal with HR issues, 
taught me how to really about food safety, taught me about the economics of a restaurant mm-hmm. business, just as, you know, how to make money, how to manage productivity and labor, taught me how to develop, taught me how to, you know, so many other things they get if you work your way up our system. Um, and ultimately we want the guests to have absolute guest satisfaction, but underneath that, we're trying to grow leaders and develop people that can grow in pride and wealth at the same time. Can we, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was gonna say, can we do a content session real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I wanna know, uh, I'm trying to make a list of 10 things. I wanna know your five favorite have to order dishes at Cheesecake Factory, and then I want to know your founders. If you're if you're familiar enough, sure. I'm sure with, with I, what you think. Yeah. He, you told me a few yesterday, so yeah. I want to know a little bit more. So I want to know your five first. What are the five? Okay, so I think it depends on what kind of mood I'm in. <laughs> okay, uh, but uh, battle it out for your top, your own top five. Yeah, that's I fair. have the whole menu, okay. <laughs> all 45 pages of it, yeah. printed here, front and back. All right, I. Uh, I, my favorite thing on the menu is the roadside sliders. And I'll, I'll save that for my response to the founder, why I, th- I think those are so good. Uh, my second favorite thing on the menu is probably the chicken piccata. Um, the chicken piccata, it's a California twist on like an East Coast pizzeria classic. And ours is really good, soft buttered angel hair, yeah. perfectly melt in your mouth chicken that's seasoned lightly floured, lemon butter sauce, mm. capers that we rinse so they're not too briny, mushrooms that are just melted, two teaspoons of chopped parsley so it tastes fresh. <laughs> I mean, I got this thing down and I've had it and I love it. And I'm, my mouth is watering. You can probably hear I'm that sorry. right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I love the original cheesecake. Okay, and yeah. Then, and more, that's emotional. It's a story. When I look at it, every time I look at a piece of original cheesecake with a sour cream topping, I think about the founder, his mother, mm-hmm. and the dad, and, and and what has come of that piece of cheesecake. I mean, people that were that had nothing. That I mean, there's one story of a, an executive kitchen manager of ours that was selling oranges on the side of the road that we hired twenty something years ago. Amazing individual, and grew up through our company, made a lot of money through our stock options, was very good, and his daughters went to Stanford and to Berkeley and you know, and thriving in life. And so that cheesecake sort of, you know, mm, represents a lot to me. And then um, I love the farfalle pasta. It's got peas that pop in your mouth, pancetta, these mushrooms, farfalle. And then we have this little roasted garlic that we put into the sauce, so it makes the sauce a little bit brown. Mm. And it's really nutty and delicious. And then the, and when it gets too rich, you get a bite of an oven roasted tomato that we cook overnight in most of our restaurants that take like two to three hours to make that we cook away oh, yeah. 70% of the meat so they intensify a little bit. Imagine doing a sun-dried tomato. Yeah. And then the last thing. Whoo, ooh, number five. Number five, let's see. You know, I'm so mood-based with, uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, like I, there's, there's debate going back and forth on the, um, on the, plant-based proteins right now and 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 but i that's probably my fifth favorite dish i like that it's vegan i like that we partnered with a great baker in la giving some business back to some local people hans rock and wagner in la it's a guy it's a it's completely vegan and if you close your eyes you'd think you're eating a burger but ultimately the main reason is i love what that's doing for the environment i have three boys and that are eight and twins that are six years old and I have a great responsibility to make sure that what we do and the decisions that we make, whether we use recycled water bottles for our lids, 111 million recycled water bottles for the lids of our to-go packaging or the, the fact that we can serve the Impossible Burger and help the environment out a little bit and, and a carbon footprint. I think those decisions are, we, we take those very serious. So the more that we can chip away at that and take that seriously, I think that would probably be my fifth. Damn. You want the founders? I'm actually surprised the impossible one made a, I absolutely want the founders. Uh, but that's a great that's a great list. I mean, two burgers made the list. I like it. Okay. This is the playbook, y'all. This is the playbook for what you order at Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> I think the okay. founders, without question, his favorite thing is the roadside sliders. And he grew up in Detroit. There's a place, and I just recently went there when we opened a restaurant up in Novi. He goes, go down the street, just leave the restaurant night. Right now, there's a place called Green's Hamburgers. Mm. And I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going to your spot. And, uh, you know, admire the man uh, beyond belief. So went, sat at the counter. There's women smashing these hamburger buns, smashing onions in. It was a greasy sort of thing, and it was so delicious. So they smash the onions into, into the, the meat Into patty. the meat, and then you put the buns on right away, so the juice goes into the top bun. Love it. And we've refined that. And, you know, I think the best food is 
the simplest food with the best technique and the best ingredients, and that's what our roadside sliders. I, I think I mentioned to you guys George Mott is the sort of expert on hamburger in hamburgers in America. Has a show on the Travel Channel, a couple best-selling hamburger books. He takes everybody from all over the world to eat our sliders. And David, that's sort of like comfort food for David too. I think when he travels and is in our restaurants, he he he, he eats an order, and he always can judge the quality of the restaurant by if they know the technique on those. He loves our Caesar salad, um, which is, Love a Caesar. we like it a little bit spicy, a little garlicky, and we have some tricks to get the garlic to a certain lay. Uh, he definitely likes a chicken piccata too. Mm. Um, he also likes the kids' chicken strips. Uh, <laughs> oh which, which, you know, chicken? And, 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 uh, and to be honest with you, he- That's so cute. It's, it's adorable. And, I, and, uh, and he, will, he can judge if the restaurant's good. I mean, it's a simple thing, but the way the chicken's cut, the way the flour is, the right fat in the buttermilk, uh, the way the honey mustard's made, the way the ranch is made. There's a lot of signals in there whether the restaurant's of high quality or not on something so simple. And um, and he really likes our soups. You know, we change soup every day. We make a fresh soup every day. So he'll go and check the soups, in particular the clam chowder on Friday. I would say those are his five favorite that of late. And I can sort of, we play this game in the kitchen when we open restaurants because we've all been traveling together for so many decades we're like, all right, who's what? What? Who's going to order what today? And yeah, we sort yeah. of we'll pull out a couple five dollar bills and be like, all right, what's David getting today? Let's guess based <laughs> off the history. Oh man! When when someone from the media or a random consumer that's maybe talking to you, and they're talking to you about you know small talk, and they make like an off the cuff comparison between Cheesecake Factory and Olive Garden, like how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? I think I'm fine with it. I think that um, I have this thing, and it's just my own belief. Uh, first of all, Olive Garden's a wildly successful company that feeds a ton of people. So people can put their nose up to that based off of whatever they think their experience is. I don't do that at all. I think this business is hard, and I think that if you can create a place that gets people to come back to your restaurant over and over again, create jobs for people, create opportunities for people to be able to take care of their families, and take care of the communities, I'm not gonna criticize anybody. And um, especially one that's got over a thousand restaurants and is creating those opportunities and feeding people. And I think that in our country, there's all levels of affluency or income. And, um, and, and Olive Garden is, for a lot of people, is their favorite restaurant in a very special place. So why would I be critical of that? Um, I want everybody to be successful. I think there's enough to go around we have to take care of our house first, but the, it's okay if there's other restaurant companies uh, that are successful. And to be honest with you, we're all sharing guests. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody goes to Olive Garden, goes to Cheesecake Factory, goes to Houston's, goes to you know In-N-Out Burger, and you just have to create a place where people want to spend their money mm -hmm. and where they feel like they can take a load off for an hour and a half through great hospitality, delicious food. So. I'm not in the business of sort of criticizing other places. I'm analyzing what they're doing. And if people are attracted to it, um, then, then what are they doing that's making them attracted to it? And I want to understand that at any level. With my understanding of the Cheesecake Factory menu, and obviously you have a better understanding, but to me, like because you are able to blend in so many different ingredients, cultures, spices into one menu, it feels like it would be really hard to replicate the Cheesecake Factory business model into a different category of restaurant. And I don't know that for a fact, but that's kind of what's in my brain. Do you think it's possible to for Lightning to strike twice and for Cheesecake Factory to develop a secondary brand that is as impactful and carries the, the same weight as the Cheesecake Factory? Um, I'm curious on your thoughts on that. I think, um, you know, it's I, if you look at like musicians or movie franchises, it, it, things are often never as good as the first one, right? You know, it's like you, anything, the like Police Academy 6 was not as good <laughs> <laughs> as, uh, as the first play. I think that, uh, I think we have another concept called Grand Lux Cafe. Um, I don't know if you- Yeah, I've been in there Vegas. in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. We own that. And I think that that's pretty close. You know, I think that it's a similar dining experience at Cheesecake. You know, larger portions, good price, different offering, different design, different dessert program, totally, because there's such a hook with the cheesecakes that 
at the Cheesecake Factory, and you know, it's so important to who we are, and it's so much of our sales as well. Um, but I think Grand Lux is pretty close. I mean, you look at that experience. Um, I don't know if there's a better example in the market that um, that, does that does that. But I think that you know the, the cheesecake is so it is so hard to operate a cheesecake. We have the best people. It's so complex. There's so many moving parts. Um, that you have to be careful not to sort of lose the focus on that and get on to the next thing. Everybody always wants to sort of create the next album or the next movie. We've got enough to handle um, with Cheesecake Factory. And we recently, you know, we have Cheesecake Factory, we have Grand Lux Cafe, we have another concept called Rock Sugar, and another one called Social Monk, which is a Southeast Asian concept that's more fast casual. And we recently acquired the Fox Restaurant Group too. Uh, so great founder in Arizona named Sam Fox, a real genius with creating restaurants. So we're partnered with him and they have unbelievable concepts too. So we're, we'll remain focused. The people that are working on Cheesecake are gonna work on Cheesecake and really, you know, to be an experiential dining company, we're gonna have all these different brands with unbelievable starts of what Sam created in our own current brands, what David created at the same time. Are you, <clears throat> are you privy to at least some of the strategy that went behind the, the acquisition of the Fox Restaurant Group and Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. It's not a huge part of this conversation, sure. but it's so curious to me because obviously you've you've talked about maintaining, well, creating and then maintaining this culture for so long. Uh, a lot of restaurants, not Cheesecake Factory, has they're notorious for bad cultures because the industry is so hard, the margins are so slim. Do you know what Cheesecake Factory was looking for, the umbrella company was looking for when it made that acquisition and why that acquisition felt right? Yeah, sure. So I think that originally we invested in North Italia yeah. and Flower Tub, which are two. Love that place. I love North Italia. Yeah, un unbelievable. And very successful, very delicious, great hospitality, great design, uh, great staff. So Sam created that with his team and, and we were very attracted to what was happening there. Um, and Sam's a really, you know, he's a once in a lifetime sort of entrepreneur that you, the opportunity to partner with is just, you'd be foolish not to try to make that happen um, if it makes sense for both companies. And then Flower Child's really, you know, it's a really healthy version of, you know, what's happening in the world today that is really, really popular. So we were excited about that. And over time, our executive team, you know, David Overton, David Gordon, Matt Clark, our CFO, and David Gordon, our president, was amazing. They've all been with our company for a long time. They really just, forged a great relationship with Sam. And the and and we liked the other brands a lot. They they were attractive, guests liked them. They were very, very good fit for what we we're trying to do. They're very similar in the thought of the way a restaurant experience should be. And and I think the marriage formed after that. And and there's been great focus on making sure we stay focused on Cheesecake Factory. The people that have made Cheesecake Factory great stay focused on that. And then there'll be teams that will be built and they're very focused, our, our executive team is, on making sure the acquisition goes smooth. And we, you know, one of the things that, that's talked about is you don't merge cultures. You, 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 you help where you can help, but North has already got a beautiful thing going and they've created something really special. So you don't sort of cheesecake eyes that yeah. uh, because you run the risk of sort of messing that company up of what's already made it special. But where, where we can help behind the scenes, I think those are the, the plans to do that. As you look into 2020, both for yourself and for Cheesecake Factory, what are you excited about? I think I'm excited. Uh, we have some new training we're doing with some of our line cook staff that's very innovative and uses a lot of technology to make sure that they're uh, prepared to be a cook. I think that I think we, you know, we're we're sort of the dust is sort of settling on the acquisition, so there's excitement around that. Uh, we have a great new menu coming out in January that's great, and we'll continue to sort of focus on the things that make our business special, and then continue to understand the environment with technology. In ways we can make this the experience better and make the job easier for our management and staff too. So I think it's a very very exciting year. We have some exciting openings next year, um, but the big focus right now is on making sure that we continue to make Cheesecake Factory as good as it can possibly be, as delicious as it possibly, the hospitality great, as profitable as it can be, and our other brands doing the same exact thing and making sure the acquisition goes smooth. Dude, as we go out, tease me with one of those things coming out in January. What's hitting the menu? Ooh, there's. There, say it very slowly. There, there <laughs> could be some more plant-based stuff. Okay, so it's that. It's it's working that well. It's, that Impossible there's Burger. A, there's a there's a a really uh, there's a group of people that love that stuff and are coming back to it and ordering it over and over and over wow. again. And then we have this pasta. Okay. 
it's like an old school pasta that we did a twist on that is selling so well. It's so delicious. Um, my heart's slowing down talking about it right now. <laughs> uh, that I can't wait for people to get. Uh, okay. it's, it's got chicken and broccoli and we have some cool techniques in there that we saw at this really fine dining Italian restaurant that was like this one little thing to do with this broccoli that was really cool. Uh, so I'm excited for that to get to our guests. And I love how subtle these these menu items are, right? Like it's not about this like always a big flashy introduction. It's just like how something is presented or how something is prepared. Um, thank you for enlightening us, man. <laughs> yeah, no, look, it's a, it's a real honor to be here. I'm, I'm lucky to be talking to a couple of fun guys like you. This has been a, a fun couple of days. And I'm really proud of what the people do in our restaurants and proud to work for a founder like we do that treats people with so much respect for sure. As you should, man. Cheesecake Factory has been a big part of our lives growing up. So it's it's cool to, to be at the table with you and talking about this, man. Appreciate yeah, thanks you. for coming on. Yeah, thank yeah. you guys. I appreciate yeah. it. Guys, thank you again for listening. And until next week, bye. <laughs>